0: Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Rebecca Warner on the show with me today. She has a phenomenal new book. It's called My Dad, My Dog. And uh, today is release day for the book. So congratulations on that, Rebecca. And thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Hank. And thank you for the congratulations. I'm really excited about the book being released today. It seems like a long time coming.
0: I, I can only imagine it, and I want to ask you all about it because this is—it's such a fascinating um, book, um, and and there's so much to dig into. Um, oh, we'll get into that. And I I have a paperback of the book that I've been reading, and um, what a fantastic story! Uh, but before we get into all that, uh, Rebecca, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is: What is your first memory? Of wanting to be a writer or storyteller.
1: Now, I know from listening to your interviews, which I always enjoy, that you asked this question. So I thought, how am I going to answer that? But I'm going to go pretty far back. The truth. Okay. I was in the fourth grade. I've heard other people talk about elementary school, too. But oh, yeah. Seems like things kind of germinate there, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And I was in a, a class uh, with a lot of very smart people. And I was not the smartest among them, but one day our teacher just put a picture up and it was a little boy holding a dog in his arms, sitting in front of a fire. He said, write a story about this. And I just went someplace else. My hands started moving and I was writing this story and didn't even know what I was writing. And so then she called on everyone to get up and read their story. But everyone's was so different from mine. And I thought, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I really blew this. Well, I didn't think of it that weight when you're in fourth grade, but I was going to be so embarrassed. And I even tried to get someone else to read it. And uh, <laughs> they wouldn't. So I had to get up and read it. And when I finished, I looked over at my teacher and I thought she was gonna have this look on her face, disapproving, but she just was wide-eyed and surprised. And she said the words, we have a genius in our class. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that had never been applied to me before. I was a good student, but I was not the smartest. And so I just felt like if I could go to where I, I enjoyed being where I was when I wrote that and I understood the difference. And so I just started writing poetry and started entering poetry contests and short story contests throughout school and uh, always did very well. in English, English grammar, really studied the rudimentaries of writing. And um, then I ended up getting a degree in business management, minor in accounting. So <laughs> But uh, of course you did. Why, <laughs> why, not? Um, why not? Well, I had to make a living, you know, yeah. was, uh, coming out of college. I knew I'd have to have to have a real skill. And um, so didn't have the time to build up a writing career, but I've never stopped writing.
0: So as a person who um, has a degree and and worked for a number of years in accounting and banking, um, do you ever feel a conflict between? those two sides of the brain, you know, we talk about the creative side of your brain and the analytical side of the brain. And so. some some people want to draw this distinction between the two and that you're either one or the other. I don't know that I necessarily buy that. I mean, I understand about getting in touch with your intuitive side and, and you know, there are exercises, you know, that that people have developed to help yes. you do that. But do you feel like that they are Diametrically opposed, as some people believe, that either you're one or the other. I mean, you're obviously a person who is comfortable with with your with you know feet in both sides of the water. Uh, how do you feel about that distinction?
1: I truly do believe that you can access both parts of your brain um, for whatever purpose you're intending to use it. Um, so I, as I said, I didn't have much of a choice with the, with the numbers and I became good at that, very good at that. But the creative side is where I always felt, um, more at home, but no, I didn't have, in fact, I, I still do, uh, for my husband and I, all of our finances. So I have to turn off my creative side and go into Quicken and keep those numbers rolling. And so, I, it's something, I'm not saying I do either particularly great but well enough to uh, to believe that you can access both sides of the brain.
0: So, Rebecca, what do what, you what, think about that? Well, you know, I think that 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 you can access both sides of those. I I don't think that they are mutually exclusive. Um, I, I don't well, believe. I believe that that people are probably born um, that uh, have easier access to one side or or the other. But yeah. but that sure doesn't exclude. People from doing one or the other. I, I think we, um, I, th- I think the human brain, the human mind is, is is much more complex and and much more dynamic than we want to give it credit for.
1: Exactly, and also it is true we don't use a great deal of our brain. And um, if we can expand it through what you're talking about, different techniques that you can learn, um, then you can use both sides. But we don't often use nearly as much of our brain as we, we are able to if we give it an opportunity. I take some, I do that with some courses and some meditations. Is just uh, developing uh, the more intuitive side when I'm writing, and it really does help me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so, Rebecca, uh, you have a successful career in banking. Um, you're working in this world. When does storytelling start to pull at you again?
1: That's a very good question. I would have to say that it starts pulling at me when I get an idea and it starts building in my brain and I start writing. I can usually write a book from beginning to end in a few seconds. And then I, I think this is what I want to say. This is where I want to go. And then I just have to put down the 90,000 words in between. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> Isn't that the and challenge? And that's the to hard part. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's that <laughs> pesky know- 90,000
1: words. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that is difficult because you have to say, oh, th- I'm excited about this idea. Now, can I execute it? And that's what happens. It's like this little seed that that starts germinating, and then it it grows, and it just has to have sunlight, and it has to ha- be given that attention. And that's how I get inspired.
0: So, um, when when did the uh, the idea for your first book start coming to you? Um, what would get kind of walk us through? What led you from banking to writing and publishing?
1: I had recently married my husband and. um, In the Miami. even, you know, women's rights, animal rights, human rights. And so I was reading this article and some new legislation had just, now this is a long time ago, long before I published my first book, Moral Infidelity. And um, I was reading about uh, the current governor of Florida saying that now that the Supreme Court had had this ruling that um, states could start enacting stricter abortion regulations. And now this is 1989. and I just thought, well, that son of a gun. Well, wonder if he had a mistress and she got pregnant. How would he feel about choice then? And then this whole book just came together. And um, so I, I continued to work, but that, there, well, we're talking about this, this seed that was planted. And at some point, well, my husband is an international tax attorney and he traveled a lot back then. We didn't have the kind of communications we do now. And um, I like to travel with them. Uh, I only had five weeks vacation a year. We just decided time for me to take the time to write the book, pay, uh, retire early from a successful banking career. And if this meant this much to me, write it. And I did. And uh, it took me nine months and I thought it was a really good book. I got it to, into a lot of good hands. It got some enthusiasm going. A production company in California was looking at it. An editor at Little Brown loved it, uh, taking it to the board. And then it just died. I have no idea. To this day, I can't understand what happened, but it was not the time for Moral Infidelity to be published. So I just shelved it. I didn't write again for years. I went about my life and got involved in so many philanthropic causes and living a wonderful life and traveling. And then shortly after my father passed away, I started thinking about it again. And it was a it was a a time of strife, really, in 2014 when I published it with a lot going on, as has been true forever with with the pro-choice, anti-choice debate. And so I polished it up and put it out there. Not knowing anything about publishing, not knowing anything about self-publishing. Um, things were still fairly new at that time, but it, it ended up doing well. And um, it got a lot of five-star reviews, like 90% five-star reviews even through the years. And I, I've been very pleased with that. And I followed it up shortly after with another book i had half-written. And then my third book was a self-help book for women, uh, just helping them make better choices about uh, their um, lifestyle, about how they approached relationships. So, it was, every book I wrote at that time was about um, something that had to do with my values and my belief in social economic um, uh, equality. And so that was how I got started writing, in but that book sat there for many years, and then it came out. and I'm sorry that I self published it in a way I should have tried again to get an agent for it. But self publishing was becoming the big thing, and here was my chance.
0: Well, and and it's been uh, a great equalizer in a lot of ways to um, to to get works out there that that other people overlooked or or you know it it didn't strike the the gatekeepers a, a certain way or 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 whatever. I mean, you know, you know right. any number of reasons why a book doesn't uh, doesn't take off. But that's the great thing about self-publishing is there is an avenue now. And uh you know, exactly. thank God for that. You you know. Um so from from that first book, which is a political thriller and and uh and what a great premise, you know, holding uh politicians to their own standards uh, is something that that <laughs> appeals to to a lot of people no matter where you are on any of the topics um you know we, we exactly. you know, and, and that's why that's why politicians are such great you know punchlines for jokes <laughs> because we we all we all know you know that there's that's neither here nor there um
1: especially hypocritical ones and, oh, the thing about and aren't the planet, they all it's kind of like you know a requirement almost to be a politician to be hypocritical we can understand that's that's where it's it's led to being in politics but i think that um also as people reviewed the book and people who were pro-choice and some were um, pro-life people actually commented that the the did not really make a case either way I was telling a story and I was looking at both sides of the issues. And so however you felt about the issue, what you really felt was the thriller part of it and the comeuppance that he got because of his hypocrisy. So I like that I, I was able to keep that balanced, even though I had feelings one way or another. I was glad that people actually said that. So that's why that book is particularly important to me. A hitman with a conscience.
0: Ian Bragg is paid to kill people. Only bad people and not many, but for a great deal of money. Case the target. Make the hit. Move on. Until he meets the woman with sparkling green eyes who changes everything. A few pre-readers had this to say about Ian Bragg. Mark Dawson, million-selling thriller author, says a rip-roaring ride from start to breathless finish. Craig Martell hit a home run with the operator, the taut, lean prose and lightning-fast pace make this a page-turner without sacrificing an ounce of story or depth. You'll find yourself rooting for the hitman main character as he faces the toughest decision of his career. The Operator is the start of a new thriller series I expect to see burning up bestseller list for years to come, says A.C. Fuller, author of The Crime Beat and Alex Vane Media Thrillers. Suave, romantic, and lethal, Ian Bragg is everything you want in a highly paid assassin. Can't wait to ride this train, says James Blatch, self-publishing formula. It's been a long time since I fell this hard in love with a book, a very long time, author of Women of Wine County Romantic Suspense Terry Wells Brown says. Grab this book from Craig Martell, The Operator. Barrels Publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author James P. Sumner. He has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career, meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community. Knowing the struggles of the modern-day indie author as well as he does, he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level To learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden costs, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. BothBerelsPublishing.com This new
1: book is really important to me.
0: Of course it is. Um, and and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. Sure. But from Moral Infidelity to your next book, um, Doubling Back to Love, and then that self-help book that you wrote, um, and now the new one, My Dog, My Dad, um, these look like four very different books, uh, <laughs> four very different genres, even. Um, what, <laughs> is, what is the connecting thread between these, though? Because... I'm I'm not one of these people that believes that, um, you know, uh, a writer should find his or her niche and, you know, only serve that niche. Uh, I, I ah. believe that we are three dimensional people and, you know, I, I care about a lot of things and I want to talk yes. about a lot of things. So yes. why should authors and, and of course, I know there's a there's a business side of it and there's, you know, reasons for this or that, but. Um, what is the connecting thread between all four of these books for you?
1: It's a really good question. I think it's about empowerment, personal empowerment. Um, in each of my books, the first three books, it, it, the, the, the message of having control over your own life, making decisions, not detriment of anyone else, but know what you are and live your live yourself, live your best life. And this is also true, even if my dad, my dog, there's an empowerment that comes about when she becomes the caregiver because she has to step up and be true to herself and find out who she is. And so if I had to say there was one thing that ran through all the books, it was getting getting in touch with with who you are and, and finding out how much strength you have.
0: So um yeah yeah I think that's that's great. Um what is it that intrigues you about a new writing project? Um I I'm I'm fascinated with the beginnings of things and I talk about it all the time. There's there, there's a, a there's a point where um a, a new story is just a kernel of an idea. Yes. Um it, how does that begin for you? Is it a character? Um is it uh is it like in Moral Infidelity where there's this um, sort of, uh, you know, moral quandary that a person finds themselves in, and then has to, you know, figure out if they really believe what they say. Um, uh, or, or, what what is the what's the beginning like for you?
1: Well, that's that's very insightful of you. That's exactly right. Um, as I said, it's it's interesting because with the book, it starts with an idea, but I in my head write the book from beginning to end. I know where I I want to take it. And as I said, I put down the the, the 90,000 words in between, but it really is just something that speaks to me personally, something that I have an invested caring about. And so unlike a lot of authors who I admire very much, and I know a number of authors who who have a genre and each story is different, But it's a great women's fiction and they write the next one and the next one. They're so disciplined and hardworking and they're all different, but they all sort of have that same theme. I did not. I did not follow that path. As you said, they're all different genres. Um, So I've had the luxury of. Writing what I wanted to write, letting it take me where I wanted it to go. And uh, so in that way, it's it's uh, very freeing to be able to just write what you want to write and and try and write a good book and uh, hope that other people enjoy it, take something from it, take something to heart, uh, want to talk about it, think about it when they finish reading the book. Those are the most rewarding things that a, an author can ask for, don't you think?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in, in my mind, I would think that the beginnings of moral infidelity uh, – was was probably very different from the beginnings of My Dog, My Dad. Um, oh, yes. What, what was it that, that started this story for you, the new one?
1: Because I really did live a great deal of it. It's a fiction book, but it is really true that I could see that my dad, I, I knew, saw him every day of his life, so I knew very well how everything affected him, every bit of aging what therapy did for him, what medicines did for him. And then I had a dog who was elderly and getting older. And I started, it was so strange because I would say to my husband, you know, look, look at Nick's hips. Look how he's walking. Um, Did you notice that Nick was standing in the corner again? Uh, Nick's appetite seems to be off. There must be something wrong with him. And I would see these things that were so similar in the aging processes of my dad and my dog, truly. And I would just kind of marvel at it. And then they passed within a short time of each other. And so you really are tending after two different beings that you love so much. And and I just also recognized a quality in them that uh, meant so much. They both had so much dignity. And they both wanted you to believe that they were better than they were. They didn't want to show weakness. Um, these brave hearts, these strong wills, these I can do it. Um, meantime, you know, you're transferring your dad from you know who can't walk into a wheelchair and you're hauling your dog up with a towel under his belly and, and you're seeing that they don't want you to notice that. They want you to think they're still strong. And I just thought that was courageous. And I thought it was so interesting that a human being and a dog Can have those same kind of not only physical but emotional attributes, and so I started thinking more and more about the similarities, and uh, that's how I thought this would be a good book to write. This would be something to write about, and if I sound a little choked up, it is still emotional
0: for me. (laughs) I bet it is. Um, While the story um, ultimately is about um, Rachel's dad and and her dog, and and how these two lives and stories intersect um where did the character of rachel uh, come from for you
1: rachel is much of her experience is based on mine um but also um my older sister who was a strong figure and a good friend in my life and just uh her way of handling things and um her approach to how she, she dealt with problems, that was an influence for me. But also, truly, speaking with a number of caregivers, uh, which I really needed to do about, to find out more about what's really involved in taking care of a loved one in your home. And Rachel kind of became a composite of these people who gave their all and did their very best, and, and many with fewer resources than I had. And that was another thing that, you know, I had to put her, Rachel in a position of not having those resources that she had had. And so it's kind of a, a con- combination of a number of factors, but generally people that I admired, that I saw their strength, I saw their discouragement and their, it, ability to keep going under these very difficult circumstances. But I didn't want to put Rachel into those very difficult circumstances. Um, truly, some of the people I, I spoke with, just the circumstances that they had to deal with uh, in taking care of someone they in their home, a loved one, uh, not having financial support, not having... Any familial support, anyone else in the family, not only that, they had to work or they had children to take care of or a husband who had expectations, or it was just, I polished her up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I wanted to leave some element of that um, incredible people are so resilient, people are so strong, and people really keep going in the most difficult circumstances. And even though hers was a a challenging journey, it wasn't as challenging as others. So she's just a, a, really a combination of a a number of people, people who know me and will read the book will think it's me. Um, (laughs) Right. People do that. Um, But um, it's really not, it's, it's, a lot of the people that I spoke with, that I tried to infuse some of their values and uh, strength into Rachel. Am I talking too much? Am I no, no much? You're, per- you're
0: perfect. You're perfect. Um, the we we learned uh, pretty quickly that uh, that the dad has Alzheimer's and is going through this uh, this trial, and um, he's a former mailman, and then he meets this elderly dog, and it's. It's kind of funny and um, and and kind of not at the at the same time, but there's really infuse humor in a way in this book that really disarms the reader. Um, It 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 I'm trying to find the words that I'm looking for. Um, You know, there's something about taking a very heady um, topic and making it um, accessible to the rest of us by letting our guard down and infusing some humor and some levity into the story. How important was it to, um, you know, to, to not make this just a, a dire, dour experience?
1: Exactly. I didn't want it to be dire and dour that's a good way to say it Hank that's a good way to say it because it could have been that and I didn't want it to be a medical tome where you're talking about every kind of treatment and and every kind of medicine and every kind of therapy that's in there that has to be in there but um it's my life it was it was dad and I really admit that a lot of this well the book is really based on my dad and my dog and their characteristics and my dad was a very humorous man and he made me laugh for he made everybody laugh and not in a stupid way he just had a subtle sense of humor and i wanted that humor that he would have really infused into that situation and a dog nick was <laughs> you know labrador retrievers at all hey sure sure okay and you know how they can be goofy and you know how they can be funny and (laughs) and just so much fun and so that that element had to be a part of the story because that really was part of what fused the family and thank you for saying that about the humor because i've I've been getting some very nice reviews they're going up on goodreads and uh, amazon and um the reviews just say that about um one minute they're reading through their tears and the next they're cracking up and i'm so glad that people got that because i don't think of myself as really funny but the situations those are what dad and nick would have done in those situations
0: absolutely um Another surprising character, and I'm saying character um, in in air quotes here, um, is the setting the the mountains of North Carolina. Um, why was it important for you to highlight this area, and what does it do for the story?
1: I moved to North Carolina full time in 2003. We went back and forth from Miami to North Carolina for eight summers, and I just loved Western North Carolina so much that I talked my husband into moving up here full time. And my dad was born in Johnson city, Tennessee, which is just right across the mountain. Right. And so to keep that Southern element in it, uh, when dad, people spoke of dad, it was a Southern gentleman. People always described dad. And, and I, uh, just thought that keeping him in that element, that Southern element where he grew up where the people who were his caregivers, um, who were country uh southern uh rural um were familiar and all of that had to speak to dad's true background and character so that he would be in a familiar world as well and he loved loved this part because he did live in florida and i moved him up to be close to me but he loved that part of um the country and here in the Western North Carolina mountains, he loved the autumn. It truly was just something that was always in his heart and soul. He grew up around it. And, um, so that's why I put it in Asheville, North Carolina, where I do live. And there we did have beautiful background for the outings and, uh, doing what he loved to do most. Rebecca,
0: when when people read this book and they have a, a, a wonderful experience with it, like I've had, um, when oh, they get you. to the end of the book um, and the story wraps up, and we're not going to give away how the story ends, um, we don't want to do that to people, but what do you hope they're left with at the end when when they close that book and they've gone on this journey? What do you hope lasts with the reader?
1: If you will allow me to do this, I think that this is just something that sums up what I hope to leave with the reader. First, I'd like to say that, as you know, this is a lot about caregiving. And um, Rosalind Carter said there are only four kinds of people in the world those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. And One reviewer said this, and I just thought how wonderful it was that this did this for her. She said, I applaud the author for helping me release the emotions I have held on to for precious life all these years for fear of losing the memories of my loved ones. This read helped me accept and move on, gave me calm and peace and serenity at heart. Isn't that lovely?
0: That is. That is.
1: So, that's if people can, and reviewers also. What's interesting is I see so many who refer to, I related this story because I have been a caregiver. I know someone who has Alzheimer's. I just lost my father this year. People really relate, or especially to losing a pet. I mean, they relate to all of those things. Right. And people, what I read about caregiving at some point in your life, you're going to be involved in caregiving. Right. And if you can take a little nugget of faith or hope or relate to it, and maybe it's cathartic for you, that's just the greatest thing that could come of this for me, Hank, is that people relate to it and that they see something of their story in it. And, Maybe it releases some emotions for them, and maybe they just just have a good time reading it, enjoy the the laughter and um, the relationship and the love. It doesn't have to be just about love and loss. It can deep be just about love and family life.
0: Well, that Rosalind uh, Carter quote uh, that you gave us was was wonderful. Um, and, and what strikes me is that we all will find ourselves in that cycle at some point um we 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 all will be there um there's no one that's escaped it yet um and and so anything that can help us to understand our place in the cycle is uh is a wonderful gift
1: that's nicely said our place in the cycle yes that's that's what it comes down to isn't it
0: that's right that's right. Well, the new book is called My Dad, My Dog, and it's on sale everywhere today. So grab your copy of it. We'll put links to it in the show notes to oh, make it okay. easy for people to find. Um, Rebecca, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online?
1: RebeccaJWarner.com is um, my website, but uh, I'm all over Amazon and Goodreads and links to everything to twitter to bookbub everywhere um social media allows you to be in a lot of places doesn't it so yes, it does. if you just if you just google rebecca warner author even um a lot comes up and i would be so honored to think that people would want to look further uh into any other works that i've done i i hope that after reading this book um <laughs> they're inspired to do so. They're very different books as we've talked about, Hank. Every book is different. Uh, Oh, and I should say that um, everyone is going to feel a different way about the kinds of books I've written. Uh, But I like that too. I like that everybody experiences a book through their experiences and their eyes and their life uh, happening. So thank you for saying that and Thank you for putting up links to it. I'm excited it's releasing today, and I hope for good things to happen.
0: You're so welcome, and we're going to send everyone to see you and to pick up their copy of My Dog, My Dad, or My Dad, My Dog, excuse me. And, uh, Rebecca, this has been so much fun uh, chatting today. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for your excellent questions and for caring. I appreciate it very much
0: on an isolated human planet called Phoenix, outside the galactic gate network. A royal empire teeters on the brink of revolution. The new emperor is weak, the old guard seeks power, and a hidden slave cabal manipulates the great and small houses alike. None of this concerns Simeon Brazhnev, newly appointed steward to one of the most powerful heiresses on the planet. Happy to let the royals play their age-old game of catch the crown, Simeon is more concerned with balancing his mistress's books than worrying about affairs of state. But when Simeon discovers evidence of sedition at the highest levels of government buried deep within her finances, he realizes her great peril. Though a slave, he finds himself trapped in political intrigue, desperate to protect his mistress from the royals who would see her dead and the slave rebels who would make her their pawn. Agonized by the choice of turning her over to the authorities or protecting her secrets, Simeon decides to keep faith with his sovereign over his larger duty, thus flinging himself into a world of power, plot, and assassination. If he fails, they both die, and with them the chance at freedom for Simeon's enslaved race. Set in the salvage title universe, Salvage Mind is the first of three novels in a new breakout series. Available in ebook format and paperback, Grab your copy today. Salvage Mind by David Allen Jones. Bone Thief, John Driscoll Book 1 by Thomas O'Callaghan. A sociopathic killer is using the internet to lure seemingly random women to their gruesome deaths in New York City. During his heinous murder spree, this madman is extracting the bones of his victims. His sheer brutality has the residents of the Big Apple in panic mode. Who is this twisted psycho who's abducted a housewife in broad daylight only to dispose of her lifeless body alongside a lake in Prospect Park, nailed the boneless remains of a nameless drifter to the underside of a boardwalk at Rockaway Beach, allowed the gutted corpse of a single parent to wash ashore under the Brooklyn Bridge, and has had the audacity to leave the desecrated body of the Magnolia T. heiress rotting atop trash at one of the city's sanitation dumps. NYPD's top cop, Homicide Commander John W. Driscoll, has never witnessed such savagery. Hammered daily by the district attorney, the mayor, and the police commissioner, the lieutenant, who's battling his own inner demons, must use every resource available to put an end to the killings. In a race against time, Driscoll, aided by Sergeant Allegante and Detective Cedric Tomlinson, sets out on a roller coaster of an investigation to first identify the villainous fiend and then put an end to his butchering. Grab Bone Thief by Thomas O'Callaghan now.